Touch them all, Joe! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. I'm Mark Silver, your host, and this is our introduction to our very first episode, which I got to do with Rick Chisholm. Rick is an incredible, incredible legend in the world of sports and television production in Canada. I got the privilege to work with him around the 2012 Olympics uh, when we were working for CTV and Rogers with a consortium of other broadcasters. In our chat today with Rick, we go down memory lane for him, for me, we reminisce a bit. And we really focus on many moments throughout Rick's career that, quite frankly, I didn't know about. It was an amazing chat. It's incredible to hear everything that Rick has done. And when you're finished listening to it, please let me know your feedback. I'd love to learn more to be able to make these episodes as great as possible. I hope you enjoy episode number one. Rick, welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. You're our very first guest on our very first episode. How do you feel about that? I feel honored. I feel uh, very, very honored. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing some other, from some others and everything. Um, but to be the first one, I hope I can uh, live up to that uh, daunting uh, experience. Hopefully I can do a good job for you guys. No, I appreciate that. Listen, our, our time together working for you, uh, I, I, I know that you're ready for the moment to happen and the, mo- and the moment's here. But before we get into the work that you and I did together, I wanted to go back a bit and I'm going to let you guide how deeply you want to get into this, but take us back to how you kind of broke into the business, the business of sports, media, entertainment, and, uh, and where that all started. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we, we, will, we have to go back to like 1968, uh, really. I mean, I'll, I'll go through it very quickly, but I think it's important because it, uh, the, 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 the journey that I went on when I was a scared little kid driving to Edmonton to go to Nate, I was a Vancouver boy. I went to Nate because it was what the only, they just offered a two-year course in radio and television. And uh, this, this family priest said, "What are you going to do when you graduate?" And I said, "I have no idea. I'm not a very good student. I wasn't very smart in school. I kind of wasted my years there." And he says, "Well, why don't you go into like sports broadcasting? That's easy. It's easy to be all, all you know and all you talk about." So he got me into, uh, he literally got me into Nate. I did the two-year course. I picked up a job shortly after graduation in an education love fit in Edmonton, which is now called Access. Then it was a mouthful called the Metropolitan Edmonton Educational Television Association. It could have also been called 35 Hippies on the campus of uh, University of Alberta because it basically was in this old, this old building, and that's where we were. We were, we were 35, 35, 36, going to be hippies kind of thing, who got into the media. It was an unbelievable experience, and then I ended up having many unbelievable experiences through the people from there. From So from media, you start off as an audio technician, and uh, thought that was pretty good, and did that for a year and a half to two years, and then they stupidly said what do you really want to do when you grow up i said well i want to direct directing looked like like the best job in the world to me you know just sitting up there and calling cameras and everyone else has to do all the work uh that sounds perfect for me and um so yeah when i joined they made me a producer director i was about 23 23 years old it was the break the very first break of a lifetime because 
they came up with a morning show, which, you know, like I think Canada AM was the only morning show in Canada where the educational network in Alberta uh, did uh, shows and features, which features on what they called in those days. What was that? What was it called? Oh, yeah, film. <laughs> it was called film. All right. And it was great. We would, uh, for two weeks out of, the, out of the month, I would go out with a production team, with a cinematographer, an audio person, a production assistant. And we would just do 10 minute, 15 minute, five minute features on Alberta. And, and then you would air, we would air them at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock um, every day on a live program. And it was great. So I got to do, I got to do the shooting of it, the editing of it. Now we had, we had editors and we had cinematographers and everything, but as a director or producer on a film unit, you got to do everything. I'm 23 years old. They're giving me $15,000 to go up in the Hanya River and raft down it for 13 days and come up with a show, come up with three shows. So it these was, shows, Rick, true. these shows were, this was for news programming or this, this was for, this is for a program. It was, it was basically, a, you could almost call it Edmonton AM, you know, but almost every city has one now. Back then, no one had them. And we were the first ones to to start out. It was started out by an education educational television um, outfit, you know, which I said, which is now now access. And so I would do, I get to shoot them, I get to put the produce them, put them together, and then for two weeks I could edit the live. I would I would direct the live show, and it was a directing of the live show that I love. Moving that along there, that when I met some unbelievably great people there, they're still very very good friends of mine. And uh, from that, then they get, you know, like everything else in this business, sooner or later, your show is going to get canceled for money reasons. And it got canceled. And I flew to Vancouver saying, okay, I'm going to fly to Vancouver and see if I can get a job there. And I got a job there as a director of the Supper Time show of the number one show in Vancouver, uh, Tony Parsons, uh, BCTV News. And I was pretty good at it. And I, and I was like, uh, I, you know, I just didn't seem to freak and directing just seemed to be something that I love to do. So that's um, what, that's about the mid seventies at that point, Rick? We would have been, I would have started there in 1971, February 1, 1971. Now by the time it come alive comes along, we're probably 74 to, and I left there in 77. So you had a pretty good run there and, and maybe just, just for, for the help of, of, of the audience and contextualizing the world. I mean, I wasn't alive quite yet, <laughs> almost born. Yeah, were your parents alive? They were alive, they were alive. I had a sister by then, a sister. But um, but the world was a different place and you're, and you're operating a new show, you're directing a new show. So maybe if you could just recall a couple of the key themes in the world at that point, I mean, a couple jump off, off you know, tip of my tongue here, but I'll, I'll let you pick it up because I think given the times that we're in today, there, there are a lot of you know, large scale civil issues and economic issues and even health issues that I think occurred at the same period of time. Maybe a couple of the storylines that you remember very fondly, perhaps share them, share those with us. Well, it was, it, we weren't into breaking news by any means of the imagination. We were into more, I, I wouldn't call it a news show. I would have called it a lifestyle show. It was called Come Alive. And it was more of a lifestyle show. So we would fly all over the province of Alberta. It was always, almost always in Alberta um, to, to basically cast an eye focus for the people of Alberta on their own province, the different areas in, in the province. So we got to travel everywhere. 
and do features on uh, on people of Alberta. As I said, I mentioned the Nahani. The Nahani River was at that time not even a world park. It's one of it's one of the world parks now. But we flew out to like up to Watson Lake, which is a long way north, and it was and then from there we took like a four seater jumper for we have we have three different planes. I hated flying at the time. I couldn't it just scared the hell out of me. And then we flew another two and a half miles north and landed on on the river. And then we rafted down the river. We didn't see a soul. I'm like I'm like 25 years old. You know, I'm actually traveling with my future wife at the time who was working with me at the time. I don't think they will get away with that in today's world. Um, and it, it, that experience was unbelievable. 13 days on a river in total solitude. The only people who were on the river were the rivermen that we had. And that's kind of the things that we did in that in in those days. It was more about it was more about learning the craft. I mean, if you, someone wanted to do a university course on television or radio, they would they would basically take those three or four years that I had and say, okay, you can start with audio, and then once you move to audio, then you can go out and and put a ten minute film together. I didn't know anything about editing when I first got the, my first. A video back for an editor to sit down with an editor. I'm going like, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. And the editor looks at the footage and goes, I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we sat there, David uh, sat there and, and basically said, no, you know, you need cutaways, you need this, you need that, you know, and they, and we were so young, we were all like very patient and everything else. And it worked out great and to the, to the point where just before I left access, I was, they sent me down to San Francisco to do what they call a producer exchange. And so a producer at KQED in San Francisco, a young lady came up and did my job at Come Alive. And I went down and did her job at KQED in San Francisco. What a great six months that was. That was great. And what I found out was as how well, as, as afraid as I was, which I remember very clearly going in the first day going, oh, this is America. This is what's a little Canadian boy from Vancouver doing here. And I went in and I discovered very, very quickly that Canadian trained Canadian production people, at, certainly at this station, KQED, were way ahead of anyone I worked with at that time. And I found that to be a constant theme as I worked with the NBCs and the ABCs as a life as life went on is that there's, there's a reason there's a lot of Canadians on the international uh, broadcast market because we're really good. And they, and love, our, they, they love our accents, right? We're, we're, we're good news people. We're good news people and we're good listeners. And, and um, we were hard workers and we, we, we don't make a lot of, we don't make a lot of waves. We don't like to make waves, right? So, you know, you hit a bump on the road, you get, you find your way around it and everything else. So, it was all, it was all like, it was great. So when I came back and that's when the show was canceled. So I'm going, I've come back from San Francisco and now they're telling me my show is canceled. Well, I'm not going to stay here then. Uh, they'll let me out of my contract. He's apologizing saying the money. And I went to Vancouver and it's just a short story in Vancouver. I went to Vancouver. I literally phoned up the program director that day and said, can I come in for a visit? And he said, sure. In fact, he was too eager. And there's no way that he knew my name. No one knew. I'm, my wife barely knew my name, even though we were dating, but we certainly weren't married at the time. So I go there, and this is how you get a job in television back in 1977. 
He does the interview. He says, well, I mean, can you direct a separate time? Sure. I'm sure I can. Okay. Where will you live? And I said, well, I'm a Vancouver boy. I've always wanted to live in the West End. I have a, I have a condo for rent in the West End. And I went, oh, I'm going to get this job right now because he needs to rent his condo. So I says, would you want to be, would you be interested? And I said, sure. He says, well, I bet how much is it? So he tells me and I says, well, how much are you going to pay me? And he says, and he, he tells me and I says, well, I can't afford that rent on this, on uh, what you're paying me. And he, and I says, can my, can my uh, girlfriend come with me? She said, a production assistant. She any good? Yeah. And he says, sure. Can you guys start like on Monday? This is like Thursday. <laughs> so I flew back to Edmonton, packed up our place to our condo that Michelle had put together when I was in San Francisco. I haven't slept in it as yet. And we get a job. Not because I'm the most talented director that this man has ever seen in his life. No, he needed his condo rented. <laughs> That's a great story. You know, so it was, we took off from there. Vancouver BCTV to Vancouver CBC, where I ran into a gentleman, two gentlemen, one named Bill Sheehan and one named Gordon Craig. Bill Sheehan is not as well known as Gordon Craig because unfortunately, I, I worked out in CBC Vancouver really well. They both got transferred to Toronto, one to run CBC Network and one to run CBC Sports, and that was Bill. And Bill, uh, he just came into my office one day in Vancouver and says, okay, let's move to Toronto and get this and let's get to work and we can work CBC Sports. I went, this is too crazy. So I've been at CBC for two years. And we did. We moved uh, August 1st, 1980. We moved to uh, we moved to Toronto. And uh, I started CBC Sports and every, you know, it just didn't work out as well as I thought it would be, even though I thought the ultimate job would be Hockey Night in Canada. Well, me and sports didn't get along. You know, it just it, it wasn't a fit for me, but the journal was started. I don't know if you ever remember the journal program. Yeah, of course, um, of course. And so at sports, what was what was the role that you that first role that you got brought? brought so in? I was I was directing a program called Sports Weekend, which was on uh, Saturday afternoon. Of course, of course, I remember that yeah. from my childhood. Yeah, no, exactly. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a, a strip program, or you know, you do a couple of horse races, you do a steeple jump, you do this, and you do and a couple of times you do baseball, but. I'm in the studio, so I'm not out there directing a baseball game at this uh, at this stage. But I am putting together. I think it was Ernie Appaganis who was on the air um, in that program at that time. And I just, it, it, you know what? It wasn't a show I would watch, so it was hard for me to get energized about it. And so, uh, as luck would have it, it opened up that that the the journal opened up. The director used to work for an outfit called CBC News Specials, Billy Matthews, who went on to ABC. Um, he, they hired him for the journal and left what they called the CBC news special job open for a live director. Best job in the world for nine years. I could do, I went all over the world doing specials. We did, my goodness gracious, two elections, 84, 88, two political conventions back when political conventions were wonderful theater, wonderful theater. And, um, you know, three royal weddings or two royal weddings I did at that time. And then a, mem a number of Queen's tours. Um, and it was great. Every show was different. Papal tour, he did, you know, 12 days in Canada. He's flying. Sometimes we'd do three shows in a day, taking a Learjet. There was three crews. And myself, 
and uh, a group of people from New Special. There's, let's see, Arnold Amber was the exec. Peter Mansbridge was the number one host. Nolton Nash was also host, but Peter sort of usurped him at that time. And um, every single show we did was different. So we, we had to come up with different ways to plan it, add cameras, where are we going to put the cameras? It was like a perfect education system. For and, that's, and that's so much harder than some of the sports work that we're familiar with. Maybe not the Olympics, which we'll, which we'll talk about shortly, but when you're thinking about a hockey schedule or a baseball schedule, I mean, you know what's going to happen well, well in advance. And, and the storylines, although the outcomes aren't predictable, to the best of our knowledge, the storylines are rather predictable. And you know who's going to make or break, you know, every game or even every season. But these stories you're talking about now, like, you're, you're starting from scratch every, every you know, sounds like every single time you're, you're producing a show. Every single time that you, you're absolutely right. You've caught it right on. And it was like the best education again, like, like my days back in access. Now I'm just piling on more knowledge. And these, these people that I work with Arnold and Peter and Yvonne Barry, Tom Cavanaugh, Larry Stout, who just passed away two weeks ago and broke my heart. Um, it was, what was so special about that you know they they taught me to care about television they taught me to care about take pride in in the work that we were doing not that i wasn't before but i mean challenge yourself and push yourself and they always the smart people always have a lot of questions and i boy i had to run to catch up and and i really and it, it was like they were so generous with their time and everything else but at the same time you knew you could work it on if i make sense of this you knew if you're still on the team after six months or a year and they're still asking you to do the next big special that means that you're you're accepted you must be doing a decent a decent job and uh it was through their energy and their love and i worked with people in ottawa ali alboy and alan pressman they were like like so smart you reach a point in the in your time there where I'm assuming you're, you have, you maybe have your, you're married, you got your kids. Mm, I got, so I married in 1978 to the wonder, wonderful Michelle. If you ever ask who's the most influential person in my life, it's Michelle, then Michelle, and then Michelle. That sounds but familiar. Yeah, married and then the kid born in 82, so, and then 86. The kids are there, the wife is there, she's got her career, which we can touch on a little bit too. I know she's had an amazing career. Mm -hmm. well. Very much. And then, so you, at some point, you leave CBC. And I know you you go into some independent work, I believe. Right. And then and then there's this this TSN thing that already started. You 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 were not in the sports business at that point, no. uh, which you've already talked to us about. But maybe tell us a little bit about. So you saw this you saw this specialty television thing launch a few years earlier, and then maybe over the span of ten years, you end up joining into that into that world. Talk a little bit about what it was like on the outside when you were watching it, if you paid any attention to it. And then when you made that leap into it and how you made that leap into it. Well, um, so I was loving the, I was loving the news, the CBC news specials, but I kept an eye on, I kept an eye on this TSN thing because the guy who brought me to Toronto was Gordon Craig and Gordon Craig had left CBC to begin TSN with the, with Labatt money. And so I kept an eye on, I kept in contact with him and then he ended up hiring a few other people that I knew in the business. And so as the new specials budget started getting cut and plus once you've done an election, then another election, then another convention and another convention, after a while, the thrill of doing a new show, they weren't new shows anymore, you know? 
And so I was getting a little bit bored, which in my life, apparently I'm the seven year itch guy. So I decided uh, through a dear friend of mine, Jimmy Marshall, who uh, he was, he went freelance at the time and he says, go into sports. And I said, my world in sports wasn't very successful. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in it. Uh, you were in it uh, sports weekend. You didn't like the show. So I went over, I went over and talked to the head and said that uh, I'll work for you basically for very little, give me some shows. And I thought that he would just, I was looking to fill up my resume because I, I could see sometimes at CBC ending. And he said, great. And the very first sports show I did, live event I did, was Saturday night, Maple Leaf Gardens, Hockey Night in Canada. I was expecting a dark championship, you know, you know, just to, you know, do darts or do something, but to do Hockey Night in Canada, well, I, you know, I just like freaked right out. And it wasn't for people like Jimmy Marshall, who just guided me through it. And there's a, there's a formula for everything you do in, in, in television. And Jimmy taught me the formula of it. And so for nine years, that's what I did until I ran into uh, a Bob Leesby, Mary Ellen Carlisle, Dome Productions. Mary Ellen still is running Dome Productions. Uh, they hired me on a freelance basis to be the executive producer of the G7 Summit. Now I knew from my news days, this is a big show. And, 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 but they hired me to run it, not to direct it, you know, like hiring it, something completely new. And I, I really liked it. I really liked it. So I had my eye open for something, uh, the, more of a leadership role. And as it would, as it, uh, as it happened, um, you know, Rick Brace at, at uh, TSN talked to me and then he got a guy named Keith Pelly involved from uh, you know, to move into the management game. Keith and I, I started, I started my sports career with Keith when I went on the freelance basis. Keith did his very first football game with me. His career comes back to me time and time again. Then when Keith, when Keith became vice president of production for TSN on an inside, I said, boy, if you can take a production guy and move him into an office, he called me up and said, uh, I need someone to run all my production. And because of the experience with Halifax, I said, I think, I think I'm, I'm ready for this. I think I'm ready for it. And that was 1997. And then the career completely changed. Now I'm in a leadership role. Now I'm at TSN. Now TSN at that time was a up and growing network for sure. And I'd been doing a lot of work with them since 1988, but they only went on the air in 1984 to which most people in Canada, and I would say most of them would be in the offices of uh, oh, what? Oh, CBC said that uh, this will never work. No one's going to watch sports 24 hours a day. And I went, are you kidding me? Of course they're going to. All right, so I was always had my eye on TSN and, and Gordon was there. So why did he leave CBC and go to do TSN? So I was basically doing Hockey Night in Canada and uh, a few other uh, sporting events. Uh, and, and I left Hockey Night in Canada to go to TSN and do their hockey. <laughs> which most people thought that, okay, he's crazy. Best move ever, best move ever. You know, some things, some places just fit for people, right? I wasn't a strong fit in CBC sports. I was a very strong fit in CBC news specials. It's always about the people. So when I got to, you know, and I worked with, you know, the Keith Pellies and the Gordon, um, Gord Cutlers and, and uh, Paul Hemmings and the Jim Hewsons and the Gary and Howie Meeker. I get to work with Howie Meeker, my goodness gracious me. 
Um, I just loved their energy and everything else. I just loved it. And so, so when Keith asked me to go inside, I was already in love with the production standards because they were growing big time. And I just loved the enthusiasm that the people at TSN had, even though they were like, in most cases, 10, 15 years younger than me. Yeah, and that time, I mean, I was, by then I was paying a little more attention to the industry and I was actually working, I was done school. And there, there, are, there are these events, and I think one that stands out most for people in the industry are, is like the IIHF World Junior Hockey Championship. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, I don't know the history, you probably can enlighten us more on that, but up until the point where TSN basically took it and ran with it, um, it wasn't really a property. And, and as we know, kind of today that uh, it, it is a holiday tradition. And maybe from what you remember, because you were there at a pivotal time in that tournament, what do you remember about the magic of, of TSN? And I know it's not just the production. I, that's obviously the part where we remember you from, but it's the marketing machine. And there's a whole marketing component to this that is able to take not much and, and, and make it appointment television. Maybe talk to us about a little, little bit about that magic. Well, and I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's very, very true. And the one of the thing that I loved about the TSN is that it wasn't disjointed like things at CBC were. See, silos at CBC. At TSN, it was like everyone working together. They had a young guy. He was a young guy then. Guy named Adam Ashen, who was all of a sudden running the marketing department. But it was always a matter of how do we make something big for the whole network the, the you were you're were right on about the world juniors i'm convinced the world juniors made tsn i think we started i think the first one i think i did the first one and i think that was 1991 i'm not sure but saskatoon was a it was a very balmy 40 below for 14 days that i was there um but it was great and it was like the marketing people were on site you know, the management people were on site. This was a big deal for them. And it was promoted throughout the network. Where you have to have the luck. It's the same thing that happens in Vancouver, which we'll get to. If Canada wins at hockey, people will remember where they saw it. And there is, it was the World Juniors. And that was the first one that they did. Obviously, they've turned it into the, uh, you know, what it is today. But the other one that doesn't get enough credit for really putting TSN on the map was curling. I was thinking curling actually as you were telling that story. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't do curling personally as a director. I didn't do curling. I didn't watch curling. Um, but again, I, I, another name coming back, Keith Pelly. Keith Pelly starts producing curling, and I'd worked with Keith uh, on CFL football. In the winter, he'd go to curling. I'd go to hockey. And uh, he's someone who was enthusiastic, goes, you watch this. And so I'd watch it, and I'm going like, wow. You know, so what does TSN do? They put microphones on all of the um, all of the players, and then they befriended all of the players, so the so the players could trust them. It turned out that it was it was well founded trust, uh, because it became it wasn't even a sporting event half the time. Half the time was you know it, I guess it was. I mean strategy and everything else clearly discussed on the air. Uh, it was great. And I think those two, so TSN would do curling from Monday to a Friday, let's say in a, on a briar. And then by contract, by CRTC contract, CBC always had to do championships. So they would take over on Saturday and, and Sunday. But it got to the point where when we got off the air on Friday night, a lot of the fans and a lot of the fans would boo 
CBC when they came in because they put in they put in like a, a camera that had to be pushed up and down the ice, but it blocked it blocked the audience. So we wouldn't Keith wouldn't use that shot. He says, "Well, the audience can't see it, you know, because you're you're taking the audience." So it was it was things like that, and it was the innovative, you know, innovation that someone like Keith Pelly would do because he had to be he had to befriend them, he had to get their trust and everything else. And it was that whole kind of energy enthusiasm that went throughout the whole building. <laughs> and when I say the whole building, it's not like we had this big, huge, crazy studio like you have down at the CBC, because that's what they should have. But we were like, we were like, we were a cable outfit. We just had a little studio where they did sports desk at the time. And we'd send all these young people out. And I was again, older than um, all of them by lots. I was closer to the management age. There was something about, I still have fond memories of all my, all my days there because of the, the knowledge and the, they pushed the envelope and they loved broadcasting and it clicked. By 1997, when I moved in inside with Keith, it was all, it was a network, but it was about to be a better network. Yeah, the world, the world really changed in the next, well, 10 to 15 years for sure. But even those few years as, as the the subscription fee that the you know the uh, the cable companies would uh, would have to charge consumers and and what and what consumers would have to pay their cable provider. I mean, all of that changed the game. Uh, still, still to this day. I mean, as you look, so if we talk, maybe we'll get into Olympics now. So you're you you arrived kind of your big arrival anyway at TSN in 1997, and then literally within a handful of years, it has to be by 2003 2004. You're someone, and at CTV at the time. This is really soon after the acquisition of TSN. Um, you're th you're thinking about Olympics. The, I guess at that point Vancouver hadn't been awarded the games, but there there was awareness of the bid. You're a West Coast guy. You're at TSN, and CTV is probably talking about. You know, we should be uh, we should be going after those rights. Maybe, maybe talk to us a little bit about your role early early days as a, as a as a leader at tsn working on working for people like you could talk about yvonne fitzan you know as as you worked with him on this and others what was that like when when you knew something really amazing is going to happen in a long time from now and you're right at the beginning the first conversations the first coffees yeah um i was the so ts so you're right ctv buys tsn and then the announcement comes that Vancouver wins the Olympics and, and everyone was really excited. And I said, I don't know why you guys are all that excited. CBC does the Olympics for this country. CTV, the only time CTV ever did the Olympics was in 1988. I think they did a couple others, but in 88 was in Calgary and they botched it. They blew it. It was a, like, it was a terrible broadcast. It was embarrassing for the country, but I was way away from the desk of Yvonne Fitzan, who was running CTV at the time. And he's going, you know, I get called to a meeting and there's like 40 people in the room, most of them from the CTV network who I've never seen before in my life. I'd seen Yvonne. And he just uh, basically said, we're going after the Olympics in Vancouver. I'm not going to let CBC do these Olympics in Vancouver, whatever it takes, we're going to get. And from that room, we started working towards it and it started very small. We didn't have any, hardly any, we, we had, I think we had done, what are we talking here? 2004 when they announced Vancouver. So we had, we'd done some Canadian games, Canada games, um, to sort of give our people some, uh, some, uh, 
well-needed uh, experience. And we had done the second fiddle in 2000 in Australia, which I was part of. CPC sort of invited us, made it a deal. And so that was my first real Olympic taste when I went to Australia for eight weeks and, and worked with CBC. And they would air some, most of the, all the, all the leading ones, and we would take secondary seat, much like it is now. But that put me in line, certainly from CTV, of I'm the sports guy. And by that time, I was vice president of programming and production at TSN. And so any Olympic question came to me, which is great. They send me off to Italy to, uh, to look at those games. And, uh, and it started from there. It really did start with, what do you think we should do? <laughs> like, you know, should we get, should we buy a whole bunch of uh, international sports and put them on like a sports weekend, like on a Saturday and Sunday? And I just went, I, you know, the, I had no, no data to back me up, but I just went, I just don't think anyone's going to watch it. They'll watch it at the Olympics. They won't watch it on Saturday afternoon from Austria, right? They won't know the Canadian athletes. They won't know any of the stars in the thing. And, and it, so we turned it in, we turned all our emphasis into what we called uh, storytelling and starting doing features and everything. But first and foremost, we have to put proposals together, how much it's going to cost, where are we going to get all the people? And Yvonne comes up with this whole plan. It wasn't just going to be CTV. It was like, it was like CTV. It was, he makes a deal with the enemy, with Rogers. Rogers buys 20%, Yvonne and CTV buy 80%. They, they, make, a, they make a deal and say that we're going to put these Olympics on every platform that we have. And now I'm listening to him going, whoa, that's, that's pretty big. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not thinking it's, it's big, this will be great. I'm thinking that's, 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 that's a challenge. You know, you know, that's a lot of people and, and, and it's, it's a lot of broadcasting, a lot of hours. And that we're, you're, we're kind of used to, you know, CBC going on from six in the morning until midnight or whatever. This is going to be around the clock. But that's the, the grain of it. That's where it all started. And it just kept building and building and building. It's like Keith was the very first one that got hired. I think I was the second one to get hired. And by the time we got to Vancouver, we had 1,400 people, uh, five networks anchored, anchored from Vancouver, and 1,400 people in Vancouver and Whistler, uh, which I could not have foreseen back in 2004, 2007 when I started with them. Well, the foresight that Yvonne and, and I guess his advisors ha had to have had at that point, I mean, the internet, which is more my thing, um, mm -hmm. it, we weren't, we weren't really streaming. Um, no. Major League Baseball was kind of streaming, but that's because they were so well capitalized, but we didn't have the technology to even be able to think like that. Uh, and NBC even hadn't, hadn't really broached the subject uh, to the degree that maybe they did in Beijing, which was the first kind of HD-esque stream games when it was in, uh, in, in Beijing. And then, so that aside, all these bets that were being made, and maybe it was because, you know, Yvonne had that experience, which I'm aware of, where he did, he did work south of the border for a while. He wasn't mm -hmm. confined to maybe some other limitations that Canadians have. And I, I don't want to discredit any of our innovation because there's a ton of that from folks like you and I, of course, but it's like, sometimes we just set our, set our sights a little lower and and with the bet that was being made, with the amount of money that was being spent just to acquire the rights, let alone put on that production, I mean, you had to dream huge, bigger than, than 
anything we've ever thought before. I mean, and of course, when we fast forward to the end and look back, we delivered all of that and more. But leading up to that, and I know there are some specific examples that are very close to the, the production and your work that I do want to I do want to talk about a bit. And those are, I think, anchor positions, positions that you dreamt up that would make a difference, you believe, because it wasn't just about making a bet on money and platforms and the future of the network, which ultimately is what that was, but the production itself, like Canadians had to feel like they can identify with those athletes. They can identify with these locations, even though, you know, pretty much the population wouldn't be able to access the games themselves, attend an event, be in the Whistler village. But you foresaw that when you were doing your scouting. I saw one of the, yeah, there was a, that, that was looking back on it, Mark, that's probably the most thrilling thing. Every one of those things that we thought of and challenged us scared the shit out of us too. <laughs> Going like, I mean, it was like, uh, but, but if it wasn't for Yvonne's big picture, like big picture, um, you know, of this, this whole umbrella of network and plus radio. And I want to use this internet thing. Then we can get inside that. But it takes someone to allow you to go there and think there and, and, and broaden your horizons. In fact, he demanded it. He demanded. Like if I learned anything from Yvonne Fitzan in the, in the years from 2004 when he thought, okay, well, who's going who's gonna to at least do the production on the Olympics? And I started doing a couple of shows with Yvonne. You know, I remember one day he just turned to me and said, you know what, you've got to get the cable production out of your head, man. This is a big show. This is a big show. And I just went, whoa, I thought we were doing a really nice job. You're not thinking big enough. You're not. He told me that for three years. You're still not thinking big enough. He did tell me at the end of Vancouver, okay, you thought big enough. <laughs> but it was, it was really following him and then the person he put in charge of the consortium. Again, that name comes back. Keith Pelly was also a big thinker. And between the two of them and trying to keep up to their minds, and you know, those are the people who sleep four hours a night and think that they, everyone else sleeps four hours a night. And so I can call you at any time. That's, that's who they are. But it, it was challenging. They, these, these are smart guys, but they're also for a production person. They're giving you the gift of a lifetime. I mean, Vancouver was a gift of a lifetime to me. You know, you, you take it all. was for all of us involved. I mean, it's, absolutely. I was at a much earlier stage in my career, and I mean, the memories that I formed and those experiences, and they were on the backs of hard work. I think is a theme that that you're talking about, and um, it attracted that project. Whether it was Keith and everybody he attracted, or other leaders that were brought in who brought people like myself into the mix, like it attracted people who had generally already achieved some degree of success, some, some bigger success than others like yourself, but some degree of success in their careers, but were ready for this challenge. And it, it was bigger than us, it felt like at the time. It, oh, it was bigger than us. It was bigger than any individual. And I think Yvonne would even say that, that this ended up being bigger than even, even for him in some cases. It starts with hiring the people. Then I get the opportunity of handpicking because we didn't, you know, I can't take everyone out of TSN because they're still running a network, you know, uh, when they have to be in, in Vancouver to prepare. So we had the Mary, CTV, Rogers, TSN, Sportsnet was going big at the time. Uh, RDS from, uh, run by Dominic Vanelli, who's like 
still the driving force at RDS in Quebec. Um, and who we hired and what we instilled into the people that we hired, or at least tried to, was first of all, you've just been picked for an elite team. That's how I felt when I was picked. I've just been picked for an elite team. This is an Olympics in my country, as it turned out, in my hometown. Um, and this is going to be a big deal. Canada was a, a completely different country in, 19, in, in 2010 than it was in 1988. It was a whole different country. So you had to pick, you know, you had to pick the right people. And there were, as you said, there was a lot of people who had a lot of experience and that's what they were hired for. But it wasn't necessarily, what, what caught my imagination through the whole time is that everyone got on with the challenge. Like everyone got on with the challenge. The challenge was doing the best games. Like I think it was like never before is what we had the ego enough to, to say, say, what are you gonna do? We're gonna do them like never before. Hmm. You would think in that kind of an atmosphere, because you do have egos in television and radio, you might not be aware of it, but there are some egos, that it would be, it could be difficult for some reason, unless you have a different episode, a different thought process than I have on this, Mark. It was a team. You know, it was a team. It went from two people to, I don't know how many we had in that building, finally. What did we have, 150? No, I had 150 there, and like you said before, 1,400 by the time we got to Vancouver. And uh, I said, I'm still close, as I know you are incredibly close with many of the people we worked with then. I think that the 2010, 2010 was it was it was a lot of people. There were, it was it was such a senior team, and I think the experience that you had. I mean, that was your experience. Everything you're saying, knowing you and knowing the people that worked very closely with you at that time, including including Keith as our leader. You know, you had one experience and there were other facets of the business. Maybe it was kind of the business development area or certainly the digital area where this was newer. It wasn't yet figured out inside of these media companies. They weren't, they were broadcasters. They weren't integrated media companies quite yet. And I know even to this day, this is still something that yeah. they're working on. So when I look back on 2010, I look at this and this is what we share across all departments. You know, we were relentless, every department. There was not a stone that was left unturned. There was not an opportunity that we didn't pursue. And just like you said, you know, it was like never before, partly because the expectation, let's say, deliver that games to Canadians in a way that they've never experienced the games and not just the 17 days. We, you know, we haven't talked about the lead up and all of the work by like Don Young and you to create this, this storyline that led us right into the game. So many of these athletes were familiar to most of Canadians, but that, that concept of, you know, what are we really doing with digital? How does that fit in? And cause up until that point, and this is just unfortunate, digital had been kind of this fiefdom, this thing over there that we didn't really understand. And there were walls and we went into the consortium and all these people came together. Luckily, people like myself and Alon, we didn't come from those backgrounds. We weren't in the broadcast world mm -hmm. before that point. We might have been around it, but not in it. And so there was some legacy to prove ourselves, maybe not for all of us, but for some of us. And I don't think it was until, and, I'll, and we're not going to talk a lot about, we don't have enough time to talk about the London 2012 Olympics where I got to work with you for a couple of years. But it wasn't until we got to London 
that I, I feel that, and at, at that point, you know, Keith has moved on uh, to a bigger and better job. And Lon's and, moved on. Yeah, CTV gets acquired wholly by Mel. And at that point, when there's just when kind of you rise a bit, Adam, Dan, others are there. I think at that point, we all become a little more focused on being what I would call a truly integrated team. Right. I, I wish, I really wish, I don't think it's happened yet, but I wish that other broadcast organizations could have attained what we attained in 2012. I, I look at 2012 as perfection. It wasn't the goal. You know, 2010 was the goal. But 2012 is the model that I'm really, really proud of. But for you, maybe you could talk a little bit about your mindset, because I know, I know for you, um, 2012 was maybe... I know it wasn't easy, but it was a little bit of a vacation compared to 2010. <laughs> Did I use that word before? I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the digital one was interesting in the sense that I, I did have, and I I tried to instill it to the production people who were hired. You know, I mean, there was about six, there was only about six or seven key, like really key production people. And then there was another six or seven, I don't even know if you had six or seven in your digital team uh, in, in, the, in the pre, but it was always given that we have to find out more about this digital thing. I mean, don't forget, the iPad hadn't been invented yet. The iPhone hadn't been invented yet. This is all new, but where, where it kind of meshed for the production people and the digital people, and I don't even know if you and I have ever talked about this, is that we also had to learn a whole new editing system. You know, we had to work, you know, we had, we, Yvonne bought this huge editing system for TSN and we all had to use words like that people in digital knew all about injection, you know, in, in, what is it? In ingestion, ingestion, and, uh, uh, and, and, and everything was moving digitally. I was used to tape analog that everything was like, like there digital. You can take it over here, take it over there, marry them together. Um, and that's when we started realizing that, okay, so they're going to use all our clips have to be important because they're also going over there and they're going to be part of that and how we can, and how we can use everything. And it was a, and it wasn't all that, it wasn't all that smooth in the sense that is that, you know, you and, uh, certainly Alon had to push the production people hard going like, don't ignore us. We're like oh. over here. We may be the future. Yeah, there were yeah. some battles. There were some battles with are. Uh, engineering, if I remember. Correctly. Oh, yeah, those damn engineers. They didn't like being told what to do. Not by no. some you know, smart yeah. digital guy. You tell me an engineer who wants to be told what to do, and I'll tell you a bad engineer. <laughs> yeah, so I don't. we're on a little bit of a tangent, but it, it, but it, it kind of goes with my overall memory of the whole thing, is that I never had to worry about my back. Like in a lot of other jobs that I had, I had to worry about my back a little. What's this person think? This person is trying to climb. That person is trying to climb. There's no climbing going on here. We all came for our expertise and it was like, get the job done. But we had to meld all the departments in your marketing and your, in your digitals and your, and your production people and promos and, and, and everything else. And I think that was the, that was the biggest gift that everyone sort of got it. They just got it. And it made my job a lot easier for sure. It was special, no, special times and then those relationships like we've talked about a few times. I mean, they carry with us to today. As you look at, you know, this new phase in your life, which is now you're going on whatever it is, four, five, six years. I, I know that you're enjoying your time with Michelle and hopefully uh, when the world gets back to a little bit more normal, you'll be able to resume some of those world travels that I know you've been able to do. 
But as it relates to this, the, the network that you have, we'll call them family more than friends. Um, how have you seen, you know, your, your role change in life from, from being this, you know, you were this source of leadership and direction for so long in your career. And now I, I, I really look at you as a source of, uh, of inspiration with, uh, you might, you might feel for some of us and maybe the travels that we've had to take in the turns after you know, a dramatic change in the landscape of, of broadcast and media and telcos, but talk to us a little bit about you know, the last number of years and, and the friendships and kind of how, uh, how you keep yourself uh, connected to those close to you as, as they continue in, on their journey. They're not quite at the point you're at yet. Um, yeah, well, that goes back to uh, that goes back to what I've said a few times. I was a lot older than most of them, you know, ten to fifteen years. Fifteen years for Keith, you know, ten for Gord Cutler, who was our executive producer, who had, you know, fifteen or ten years difference. But you know, I, Gord came to be the executive producer after th you know three NBC Olympics, you know, and Patricia Sadoli and and then that. But I knew going in. You know, I, I discussed it with Michelle at length. I knew as clear as day that going in, I was out of here in 2012 London. I wasn't one of those people who, you know, I wanted to hang on and I wanted to do the job. And it's because as much as I loved it, I could see on the horizon that outside of the industry, I think is going to be more fun. You know, and I mean fun. Because now it's going to be me. No one's going to tell me when I have to be in a meeting because I don't have to be at one. So it, I, it like stopped. But I, I was able to prepare myself for it. You know, so how long do we work at the consortium? The consortium was together seven years, I believe. Yep. And, so, you know, and Vancouver, extremely challenging. London apparently was a bit of a vacation um, on that. But I just... I knew I would adapt to it, and but would I? The only thing I would miss would be the people, right? I think I think production-wise, I'd done everything that could possibly be done. I mean, that sounds a little bit ego, but I mean, I did a lot of big stuff, uh, and that. But it was always the people, you know. I look back at it. I mean, I still have friends from the job at Access. I still have friends from CBC Vancouver. Bill Good Jr., who I worked with as the anchor, called me out of the blue the other day, and we chatted for a couple of ideas. Through every stage I went, I drew and grew friendships. And it's, it's been, um, it's probably the most satisfying thing that I have done in my career, that I did something right in the sense of help, I can help people work together, but I truly like them. So that's so important. And, but so it's, important. It's, it's, it's a team. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sports at its core. Yeah, sports broadcasting is a team sport. If you think you can do it by yourself, it's just you just you just can't do it. Well, what what we're gonna do now, and this is a this is a, a segment of every uh, backstage project podcast that we're gonna do. You're the first one. I'm gonna ask you a few standard questions, and you're gonna do your best to give me kind of your off the cuff off the cuff. Off right the there. cuff. There we go. Here we go. So, most memorable career moment. Oh, well, here we go again. Uh, most memorable career moment. Well, obviously, it has to come out of Vancouver because we worked so hard in Vancouver. I, I, I had great moments in every stage. I really did in every stage. But uh, Vancouver, oh, the moment, it had to be John Montgomery, I would think. It would be John Montgomery winning in Skeleton, and we fought so hard. And all, to put an eye to, which is not, not fair, but 
I fought very hard for a number of years before people were concentrating on the Olympics that there is going to be an anchor site in Whistler, you know, and other people are going like, what for, you know? And I said, because that's where the atmosphere was going to be. And I saw it in Torino. So I, I saw it by, from BBC firsthand. So it's not like I invented this by any means imagination. But when my wife, we go back to Michelle again, my wife was actually hired to direct the anchor position in Whistler. And because I, I knew with her experience in lifestyle television and live direction, she'd be the best person. John Montgomery goes and wins the skeleton. You go, ah, so what? By that time, we're about medal eight or nine. It's like, let's go, you know? But her and the producer, Paul Graham, they came up with this whole walk to bring in, you know, bring John Montgomery walking right through Whistler all the way to the anchor position to be interviewed by Jennifer Hedger. And in the middle of all that, crowd's going crazy. This crowd's going crazy. And he picks up a beer, a beer, a pitcher of beer from a lady who ends up being from London, from London, England, who I, I actually talked to in London two years later, picks up a picks up a beer and then turns that gold medal win from skeleton into a Canadian iconic moment that I still think people, when they think of Vancouver, that is an instant image um, that comes that comes back. And because it was so individual in the sense that we put that anchor position on that mountain. I'll tell you a little side story if you got time. We got time, and and I hope you're going to dispel the myth that you created that moment, like so many other TV moments that I'm familiar with. No, we do what everything can do in television. You 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 set it up so the moment can happen. They didn't know that John Montgomery was going to grab a beer off a lady. They just set it up. This would be nice. It'd be a nice walking shot in. You can talk about. It. You can show his race a little bit and everything else. You know, John Montgomery turned that into an iconic moment him and his energy and his love of life uh, and that. And it was a moment. And I was sitting in a hotel. I, I went back to my hotel room because I knew that they had planned something, but they wouldn't tell me, Paul and, and Michelle. So I went back to my hotel room and, you know, we're halfway through the Olympics, so I'm exhausted. And I, I, I tucked myself into bed. I turned it on. It wasn't late. I think it was only like 11 o'clock. And it was the earliest night that I had had. And out comes the walk, out comes the picture of beer, out comes the interview with Jennifer Hedger, which I still think is one of the best interviews that I'd, I'd seen where she was able to ca ca capture a little bit of moment of John plus the Canadian moment of it because the, the fans and the flags were going crazy by this time. I think that was probably, probably it. You can't discount, you can't discount the total ratings for it. You can't discount Crosby's goal. No, no. Crosby's goal in overtime against America after giving up a two-goal lead, um, you, you, and then and then it scored by Sidney Crosby. I remember yelling in the control room, going like, "This is now getting stupid." I mean, we're we going to get everything we wish for. We have to remember, Mark, that when it, it, it wasn't a glorious ride to the Olympics by any means of the imagination. The day of the Olympics, a Georgian luge guy fires himself up into a pole on a practice run and kills himself. We didn't know whether we had enough snow for Cyprus. The Vanock, the organizing committee, was getting raked over the coals for the money they were spending on a highway that they had to build anyway. Uh, the weather wasn't all that great. And and then when we then we have the opening ceremony, and one of the legs of the five legs on the torch 
doesn't come up. And Katrina Dome is like standing there going like, what am I doing with this torch, right? Or after that, there's a surprise ending because there's going to be another torch lit down at the convention center. And then we have to get it down there. So they pick up, Wayne Gretzky is going to go in a pickup truck. As it turns out, a pickup truck with a headlight out and in a driving rainstorm and drives it for like 15, 20 minutes. And I'm sitting there going, I'm directing that one because we didn't have any more directors left. I'm directing all that. And, and the secrecy on that other flame was unbelievable. So I ended up having directed. <laughs> and I'm going like, okay, like what else can go wrong? This is, you know, people are beginning to laugh at Canada now, not celebrate with Canada. You know, and then they then they wake up the next morning and they put a fence around the flame so people can't get to it. And we're going like, holy jumping Christmas, this is crazy. And it wasn't who brings it out, Canadians, but the athletes bring it out. And that's what it's supposed to be. That's exactly you know, what it's supposed Bilodeau, to be. Philadelphia, the young, young French guy who we'd done a terrific feature on on his on his brother with is that he goes and wins the first gold ever won in a Canadian Olympics on its on its own soil. And from then on in, we go from one gold medal to 14 gold medals. It's almost the whole Olympics and the journey was for me a total picture of my my career. And supportive staff, all people there to like work their ass off for, for two to three years and make it happen. And it worked. And it worked. And Canadians loved it. That they did. All right. Let's move on to another question yeah, for you. Sorry. Just a couple. No, we'll no. A little shorter. There, no, listen. Uh, you, uh, you've earned the right to be able to talk at length about these amazing accomplishments and the memories that we've formed from them. Thinking about your memories, if there's one person that you can highlight that maybe was the most influential to you in, in your career, and it doesn't have to be about got you a job. It, it could be really anyone. You know, who, who stands out? Who stands out in your memory? That who Two. is that person? Two people. Two people. Well, I was so obsessed with television. I luckily married my production assistant at the time, and she got to be a, a, one of Canada's best live directors. So having that at home all the time, that we could just talk television all the time, and we had the kids and everything else. But Michelle was, you know, focused me. But career-wise, uh, it was Keith Belly. There's just no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I think. I remember telling you in the office one day going, you know, I mean, the first time I, I produced, Keith produced his first live event, CFL football with me. And I, you know, I'm 15 years older and I'm going like, Ooh, cause Keith is, a, he can get excited. I don't know whether you remember that or not, but he can get excited. And he was like out of control in the seat beside me. You know, he really was. And, and his mind goes, goes and goes and goes. And even that afternoon, when I was going to work for him for the first time, he goes, let's, let's drive to Lasdow Park. And then he can't find his car in the parking lot. You know, so we had to take a taxi there. This is how scattered he was. And by the third game, I guess it'd be third game, he might have been the best producer I'd ever worked with. That's how quickly he learned. And that's how quickly he drove it. Now, Keith took me, so that's doing, that's doing, he, he gave my, kept my, my live directing career going because of the energy he gave. He certainly became the best producer by far. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but then done before. And then he hires me at TSN, brings me inside. Then he goes away. Then he hires me for the Olympics and supported me like all the time, like all the time. 
he was like, I don't know if he was my biggest booster or whatever, but he, Keith, it's easy for me to go, that's an easy one. I, a lot of people helped me, a lot of people. But Keith Pelly was the one uh, that that pushed me the, pushed me the hardest and uh, challenged me time and time again, time again. In fact, he sometimes still phones and challenges me. He says, I don't work for you anymore. Uh, you don't work for him, but if you if you ever get a chance to hit the links with him, I'm sure he pushes you there. Yeah, unfortunately, we normally always have a game on um, August long weekend. Always have a game, but he he, he can't get here this year without uh, quarantine. Well, no, he's stuck in Europe. Yes, ring is broken. Well, you, when you were talking right at the beginning of our chat today, Brown, your time at Axis and, and the, all the hats you had to wear, you know, I think what I'm asking our final question here, I'm thinking about advice that you have for people who are who are looking for a career path. There's no way they're going to have your career path. But if looking for a career path in broadcast and production, what what kind of advice would would you have for them? Um, there's there's this when I started hiring people uh, when I went to TSN for the head of production. When I when I talked to them, I'd always say to them, "What do you want to do?" Almost almost everybody produce, and how are you going to get there? They weren't all that sure. They weren't, and, and, and justifiably so. I mean, I'm talking usually kids right out of school, right? But that's what they want to do. They want to produce. And I'd say, first of all, in this business, you know, when, especially in the broadcasting business, not so much in the digital. Digital, digital has helped this immensely. But in the broadcast, when I first started, it was if people are at home, that's when you're working. Sports goes on on the weekends and weeknights. You know, they don't go on a Tuesday afternoon while well, they do now. But you know what I mean? It's like you have to find a, a passion of the different many layers of broadcast, digital, internet, whatever we want to call them, and do as much and as varied uh, jobs and productions as you possibly can. In today's world, that probably means doing them by yourself. You know, if you, you, can, you can edit, you can edit at home for hardly anything. You can shoot your own stuff. Do as much as you can. Just do as much as you can and just and get it out there and be busy and be happy about it and be and be uh, challenged with it. If it's good, you'll be found. That's great advice. And that's advice that uh, I, I give similar advice around the around the energy and the commitment that you need to have. Um, I mean, some other words that we sometimes put in there is like, don't take no for an answer. Yeah, is another way to look at it. Uh, as you've described today, I'll use the word serendipity. Like having some of that in your career kind of helps. The tenacity that you showed, you know, early in your career before you had someone like you know, like Keith that you became so associated with, kind of for the say the last third of your career. I mean, that was amazing to learn. Rick, you know, we haven't been working day to day together for almost ten years, but you know, the passion that I hear in your voice, um, that energy that that you have, um, well, you still got it, bud. So I am, I'm so happy to chat with you and wasn't as much a trip down memory lane as it was more of a learning exercise for me and our listeners to get to know kind of what it, what it takes to have a truly blessed career and, and that it's not easy. You have to work at it regardless of how successful you may seem to the outside world. Yeah. You know what? That, that's another good lesson in the television because television, uh, you know, you back in the day, I mean, I just, you still see, I still use the term television and everyone goes, what's that? But, you know, it's, it's challenge yourself, 
continue to challenge yourself. If you challenge yourself and you meet a goal, I would say that like a year later, you're going to go like, oh, geez, I think I've done that. Then move on and find the next level and keep growing into your next level and keep growing into your next level. And that's when your contacts can come in handy and everything else. But you have to challenge yourself. You have to scare the shit out of yourself sometimes going like, why did I say I can do that? That's amazing. So thank you for your time today. The bar is set for the Backstage Project podcast, starting with Rick. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon when we're allowed to uh, hit a patio. Maybe maybe that's any day now. Yeah, yeah, who knows? We're in GTA, so apparently we're going to be longer. Mark, thank you very much. It's it's really been a trip to, to go back through it. It is a career I'm proud of. But as I've said many times, it's a career I was proud of because I shared it with so many who were willing to share it with me. And, uh, and I'm still hanging out with a lot of them. So it's great. It's, I've been very, 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 very fortunate. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for summarizing it at the end. And um, we'll see you soon. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.